listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. Today we have a special guest, uh, two special guests. It's uh, a little bit different show together today because rather than just interviewing real estate investors, we actually brought in some specialists on asset protection. So we have Mark and Andrew Pierce with WyomingLLCAttorney.com to come talk to us about the different ways you can protect your assets, why you might incorporate in, in one state over another, and answer all of the frequently asked questions that seem to pop up on a lot of the forums about where should I create an LLC, what type of LLC should I create. And, and so we're super excited to have them on. Mark, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Sterling. Good to be, Good to be here. here. So can you guys kind of kick it off and tell us a little bit about what you do and why you do it and why we're having this conversation on a real estate investing podcast? Of course, you know, at heart, we're an estate planning law firm, but really what that means is we focus on trust and business formations and preserving family wealth. And a lot of times family wealth comes from real estate and being able to properly structure it and make sure that what you've worked so hard for isn't taken away because of an issue with a tenant or anything else like that. So we focus on helping people to put together asset protection plans that also respect the privacy, easy to maintain, and then relatively low fees as well. Awesome. Right. I, I can add to that as well. We chose Wyoming as a domicile because the LLC statutes in Wyoming, I think, are the best in the United States. First and foremost, we're quick, we're easy, we're anonymous, we're tax-free. There are no taxes if you domicile in Wyoming. And even more importantly than that, you know, we've got a long-term commitment to business-friendly regulatory environments. So when you incorporate or organize an LLC in Wyoming, you've got pretty much a full reign as to what it is that you can put in your operating agreement to make it work for you. So that's why we chose the LLC statutes in Wyoming. Plus, we also have a provision in Wyoming that says the LLC, if you have a single member LLC, which you generally do have in an operational context with real estate, a single member LLC has efficacy in Wyoming, whereas in a lot of states it does not. The additional thing that we do is we have charging order protection. We can make indirect distributions. State acknowledges that. And people can't get inside that LLC. We also have a close supplement, which allows you to avoid having to adhere to most of the corporate formalities that go along with having a corporation or an LLC to prevent piercing that corporate or LLC veil and getting to the shareholders or membership interest holders within the corporation or the LLC. Awesome. So yeah, that was my next question. Why Wyoming? And just for a brief description, it sounds like you you know, just went over why why we would go with Wyoming. But I did want you to kind of touch on a few other states because a lot of things I read and I hear people always say in regards to real estate, either Wyoming or Nevada. So I was curious as to the difference between those two states. And the other one I hear a lot is Delaware, not so much for real estate, but just in general. So can you touch on why we keep hearing those, those three different areas? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And in fact, I'll even expand it to New Mexico. Those are the four large players you'll run into, Wyoming, Nevada, New Mexico, Delaware. The primary reason being that they all allow privacy, which is relatively unique. You'll find Nevada and Wyoming companies are the most similar. Their laws were built uh, to be almost the same. So there's some certain nuance there, particularly the single member LLC statute, we believe is stronger in Wyoming than it is in Nevada. But for a lot of clients at a high level, they're going to be the same. What you will notice 
is Wyoming hasn't had a fee increase, I think, in seven years. So it's $100 to start the company, state fees, $50 to maintain. Nevada is about $500 to $600 a year in state fees. So they were popular, still are popular, but they really started writing that name that they'd marketed. And as you know, it's best practice to have one LLC for each property. So these costs can add up pretty quickly, especially for smaller investors. So people generally default to Wyoming for that reason. You'll hear Delaware thrown around a lot, but in truth, Delaware is better for large corporations. If you're a Fortune 500 company, you go to Delaware, they have the Chancery Court, but they also have high fees big companies don't notice. What Delaware doesn't do, though, is focus on asset protection. They're focused on corporate law, not helping small investors. New Mexico, the one that I injected there, that one's popular because it allows privacy, but it doesn't have asset protection features like Nevada or Wyoming. What they don't have, though, is an annual report fee. So some clients look up and we could talk to over blue all day about asset protection and why we care. And some clients just go, I just don't think it's an issue or I'll be sued. I just want a little bit of privacy and not be on the internet. Well, go to New Mexico. It can't get much cheaper than that. We don't agree, but there is a place in there for some investors' portfolios. They're more cost conscious. So those are your four big ones. Got it. So I have some additional follow-up questions for that. First and foremost, you've mentioned privacy multiple times. Why is privacy important and why should people be focusing on, on the privacy issue? How does that come up when, in, when it comes to asset protection? Sure. So let's begin. You've got a fundamental right to privacy. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Why would you want privacy? Probably for the same reason you don't put your account numbers on Facebook for everybody to see. It's not really their business. And the reason privacy has become bigger over the last 20 years is before, if you publicly owned a company, I'd have to call up Idaho or Wyoming, you know, fax in a request or send it by snail mail, wait for them to send me the records by mail. It'd take a month to get there. Nowadays, you just go on Google, you can pull up what everybody owns and it makes it much easier to find. So essentially, the privacy helps you with three groups. It's the nosy neighbors, needy family members, and aggressive predators. Uh, it really doesn't help you to appear more rich than you are at the end of the day. And a lot of times, at least with frivolous lawsuits, which you see in real estate, they're looking for an easy target, someone that owns the homes in their name, easy to find through a title search, easy to get those homes. You add a little bit of privacy, makes the attorney's life harder. It's a frivolous lawsuit where they're going off of a commission base. They don't want to put in the extra effort. So it can deter things as well, in addition to just wanting the privacy. Got it. Well, that's exactly right. They sue up to the amount of the existing insurance and let it go after that. So if they can't find who owns the property, it gets rid of what we call the predacious predator. So there's a predator creditor. Well, you own 30 homes. That's great. I can't wait to get hurt. Yeah, my slip disc is worth thirty million. Yep, and I know where all those homes are too, and they're in your name. So, and look at that—they're <laughs> all in your name, and all I had to do was get on the internet and find you. Got it. So, basically, to kind of summarize the the significance of the privacy issue, I give an example. So, if I have somebody slip and fall at one of my properties, and they're all in an LLC. Oh, most of them anyway. So if I have somebody slip and fall, they'll go to an attorney and the attorney will likely just sue up to the insurance amount unless they can hop online and Google my LLC and kind of put together the pieces and find out, well, actually he owns 30 houses. He's probably got a lot more for us to be able to go after than just the 
insurance maximums. So they're likely to try and get more knowing that, that there is more to get. Whereas if they couldn't find that I had all those assets, they'd probably just take the insurance payout and run and leave me alone. Yeah, here's what I find. You're exactly right. So they come in there and they take a look at the LLC and they say, okay, now I know who owns the LLC, even though the, the guy on the lease may be somewhat different. Let's go to the insurance policy limits and pop him for an extra 50 because it's going to cost him that in litigation fees. So the guy's going to settle beyond the insurance limits for the additional 50, avoid the potential for liability and avoid the attorney's fees and the time and expense that it takes to out of your day to litigate these types of fees. So that's what we call the predacious creditor. And it basically legally blackmail you. And we'd had one client who he'd gone through the reverse. He needed to find the owner of a Wyoming LLC and it was going to cost him about ten dollars to $15,000 to do that. And with the lawsuit that he had in mind, the numbers just didn't make sense. So, you know, he walked away from the five because it just wasn't obtainable for him. With that being yeah. said, the privacy does only get you so far. You know, if you've mismanaged your building and you take out a whole apartment block of families, they're going to find out who owns that. The idea is here for, you know, protect you from the internet and some of those superficial creditors make their lives more difficult. Got it. It's not going to get rid of the government on taxes. It's not going to get rid of consensual bank loans, those sorts of things. It's not going to get rid of the uh, creditors who come after you because you're committing consumer fraud. But, you know, anything other than that, it will generally get rid of 90% of those claims just by having the level of anonymity and knowing that you have to come to Wyoming, sue, get an order from a Wyoming court to divulge who the members of that LLC are and what it is that they own. And the Wyoming courts are probably not going to give it to you. So it's a lot of additional work and effort. So it's not just a matter of naming it to the lawsuit and hoping for the best. So it's kind of an interim effect against a lot of these creditors who come along with slap-happy attorneys who want to pop a little extra money out of you. I want to dig in a little further in the other protections that, that the Wyoming LLCs offer. And two of them come to mind, and I was just going to ask you about one, but I'm afraid I'm going to forget the other one. So I'm going to mention them both, and y'all can answer in whichever order you want. So one you mentioned was charging order protections. I'd like to hear more about that. And before I forget, I want to throw out there another question I had was, I think you mentioned something about not having to follow the certain protocols in a Wyoming LLC as rigorously as you do in others. And I hate to put my business out there like that, but that one it kind of piques my curiosity because, you know, I've got all these LLCs for them, but I've got a bad habit of like, like transferring money back and forth between my personal account. And I'm always like, is my LLC even protecting me? Because I'm sure they're going to be able to pierce the corporate veil when they, you know, see that I'm not keeping complete separate books or I'm commingling funds or I'm not, you know, making a long enough corporate minutes when I do my, my thing every year. So can you elaborate a little bit on those, those two subjects? Andrew, you want to take the charging order? Yeah, I'll take the charging order and then you can fill in the legal aspect of it. So the best way I like to understand the charging order, I'll begin with the multi-member LLC. So essentially there's two or more partners. The concept was born of the idea, you and I, Sterling, we go into business together. You unfortunately do something dumb and you have a personal credit event. Well, your creditor shouldn't be able to take your share and begin voting it because they're probably going to vote against the business's interests and your partner's interests. You know, you've got a running business, they go, no, no, liquidate it, distribute it. So what they do is they say on the charging order protection, if the company's going to make a distribution to you, Sterling, the creditor can take that distribution, but they can't take your percentage in the company, force distributions, force votes. So it protects other partners. 
What Wyoming does, well, what a lot of other states have the tendency to do is to look at a single member LLC, one owner and go, this isn't a real company. This is an alter ego. You're not going to get any of the normal LLC protections. Wyoming looked up and went, you know, we just don't think that's fair because there's a lot of small businesses where you don't want to bring a partner on for any number of reasons. We shouldn't put them at a disadvantage. So the LLC laws in Wyoming, it's the only state where multi and single member LLCs are treated the same in every respect. So this extends to charging order protection as well. So if you have a personal credit event, they aren't able to take that LLC, even if you're the only owner. Now they can try to go after distributions. And this is where Mark brought up indirect distributions before. So it kind of becomes a game of it's like arguing over a melting ice cream cake. They know if I take the money out of the LLC, it's theirs. But for as long as it's in the LLC, they don't get to touch it. So you kind of get to get into a blinking contest with them. (laughs) Make an indirect distribution. You know, I could start paying my sister for graphic design and doing weird things to move the money around. So at some point, it forces both sides to the table and you get a better deal than you would have otherwise. And that even applies with the single member. The reason that's effective in real estate is so you've got the parent up here in Wyoming and your children. By having charging order protection through the parent, they can't get to your children companies either. So it protects the entire structure that way. Upward protection and downward protection both. Yep. So the traditional corporate bail, you know, an accident at the property doesn't come through to the owners and take their assets. A reverse shield, which is, you know, an issue personally doesn't come through and take the business assets. You're protected on both ends. Got it. Yeah. And in addition to that is the closed supplement, the, the closed liability company supplement that we have in Wyoming. As far as I'm aware, we're the only ones who have it. What it allows you to do is to avoid the corporate formalities like having a meeting or having special meetings or seeking approvals that allows you to act just by consent. And essentially, the only thing that you're not allowed to do, Sterling, is that you can't take money from one LLC, put it into another LLC without a reason for that happening. And you can't treat it for personal expenses and personal expenses going into that liability company. So I think you've got some issues there on your money management, but you can straighten them out. So in Wyoming, (laughs) that's about the only thing you can't do is commingle funds. I just reviewed an operating agreement that was put together by a firm out of California that had charged or was proposing to charge a client $3,000 for a simple operating agreement on a single member LLC. And they said it had secret sauce. I didn't see the secret (laughs) sauce in there anywhere because for a single member LLC where you can vote to do anything you want, just exactly what kind of sauce do you need? So I went through it and it was 38 pages long. So I asked this person, I said, you know, at the end of the day, have you read the 38 pages? And she said, no, I haven't. I said, well, how do you know what it is that you're supposed to be doing? Because if you don't follow that agreement, then you're violating the agreement. You're violating the efficacy of the LLC bail and they can pierce it. So the less said in the operating agreement, fall back on the statute, the better off you're going to be. And that operating agreement, to be quite frank with you, is worth about $199 online. That's what we sell that operating agreement for. So the $3,000 that they're charging for the secret sauce was non-existent. And it was a Wyoming LLC. They had recommended not to adopt the closed LLC status because they felt as though their operating agreement was that good, even though the client wasn't going to read it and follow it. And the reason, real quick, the history on the closed LLC was Wyoming looked up and realized in single-member companies or family companies, these annual meetings don't really matter. Single-member company, it's literally you talking to yourself since it's the only owner, right? And then signing off on it on a multi-member, you're talking about business at the breakfast table, lunch table, and dinner table. What the heck do you need an annual meeting for? 
So you say, you know, the lack of, or, you know, we made an investment decision. Well, the idea with family is you've talked it through. You don't have to properly notify the other partners because you're close. So it takes away some of those formalities. So that way, when you don't hold an annual meeting, you're not accused of not having held an annual meeting. Probably be good to still have one, but by statute, not required and not a reason to pierce the corporate veil. So it works beautifully for small groups and when there's one owner. Yeah, I just can't imagine. You know, Wyoming is particularly set up for the small business operation. And if you're not taking advantage of that statutory framework, I think you're really missing out on a lot of the protections that are available for LLCs. And I particularly find it interesting that in Wyoming, we acknowledge the efficacy of the single member LLC and we give you the closed supplement status. So, you know, other than commingling funds, it's very difficult to pierce that corporate veil. But there's one more thing that you should know. To be able to pierce the corporate veil, Sterling, you have to have clear and convincing evidence, which is like a criminal standard, not a civil standard. So it's very difficult to get through these things. And, you know, the gravamen's on the judge to say, look, no, these things are good. Unless you can show something that's going on here, it's way outside the bounds of the law. I'm going to let this thing stand. Whereas in a lot of states, everybody's trying to break through these things. It's like a payday. It's like the pinata. You hit it <laughs> enough times, a break open. Got it. Yeah. So what structure, and I imagine it varies from investor to investor. So I'm just going to kind of give you a free reign to, to kind of answer this in a free flow type. But when would you recommend people set up Wyoming LLCs? You know, if I'm an investor and I go out and buy my first single family rent house, would you recommend at that point setting up a local LLC and then starting a Wyoming LLC to buy it? Would you wait until you get a certain number of properties? Uh, you mentioned earlier, ideally, it's a different LLC for each property. Is that like each multifamily apartment complex? Or if you own 50, $30,000 houses, would you really recommend having 50 separate LLCs and then all owned by an L a Wyoming LLC? So just kind of elaborate on your thoughts around when the asset protection conversations should be taking place, how you think it should be structured on the front end, and what might be trying to kill a mosquito with a sledgehammer. Why don't you take that one, Drew? Sure. You know, I always start off saying you don't want needless complexity. There's a lot of ways you can slice it and dice it for more protection, but it gets more complex than people want. We'd say even with one property, start off with at least an LLC in your home state. You don't have to have a Wyoming holding company at that point, but start off with an LLC always, because what this will prevent is the homes in your name. You now learn you need to transfer it into an LLC, but you have a due on sale clause. Ooh, now you need to use the land trust to transfer it, and that's going to raise your expense. So it's always easier to start off and do it that way. Certainly, once you have more than one LLC, at that point, a holding company makes sense. We'd argue it makes sense with one LLC, but you know, sometimes it's their first property. They're not comfortable with it yet. But certainly by the time you're at two LLCs, you want a holding company up there at the top. Now you've said, you know, if I've got 50 properties at $30,000 each, do they each need an LLC? Uh, the answer is look at it from the point of view of your creditor. If you've got zero equity in it, it's not very, very tempting, but are they cash flowing very well? Well, then it still might be tempting to a creditor to go ahead and go after it. Something else to look at is, are there transfer taxes in your state or what are they? And how likely are you to sell this property? If you're planning on selling this property in three years, but it's bundled up with other properties in one LLC, you're going to have to transfer the title, which is going to lead to cost and complexity. If every property is in its own LLC, when you sell the property, you just sell the LLC. 
So that's the response there. You know, look at how much equity you have, the cash flow, and then how complex do you want to make it? Do you have anything to add to that, Mark? Yeah, I do. Uh, what I'd like to discuss is the series LLC that may help bring down some of the costs in that. Which you, we do have series LLCs in Wyoming. You're starting to see them in more and more jurisdictions. Did you want to throw that into the fray there and see how that works? For I've, I've heard of it, uh, and I, I'm very interested in this conversation. I'm glad you brought it up. I was I was actually searching for the name when when you said it. So I have read about the series LLCs, and I've I've heard. I think it was a Ken McElroy book or maybe a Garrett Sutton book. I don't think he was very supportive of them. I think he said that there wasn't really any legal, granted that book was probably written 10 years ago, but he said there wasn't any like kind of legal cases that backed up that it's actually effective. Have we made strides in the world of series, series LLCs or what y'all's thoughts and opinions on the subject? Well, I think the rock solid, our statute's solid. The question is if, you know, the series LLC in Wyoming is built, perfectly for a holding company concept using real estate, okay? Because you, you form the one LLC at the top and then you issue series underneath them, A, B, C, X, Y, Z, whatever you want to start it with. And you name those series and that's what owns that particular piece of property. Each one of those ownerships are separate and distinct from every other ownership within that series. The question is going to be is that if you get into litigation outside of Wyoming in a jurisdiction where it does not have series LLCs, is the judge going to understand it? Will the attorney understand it? Will they give legal efficacy to that series LLC? That's where we stand with it. Drew, do you have something you wanted to add to that? That was my response is that becomes the question. <laughs> the series LLCs are beautiful in theory. There's 13 states that allow them. If you're in one of them, it will reduce your cost. They're great. If you're not in one of them, you have practical and legal difficulties. The legal one being you get in front of a judge who doesn't know what he's looking at, wants to treat them as one LLC. The other practical difficulty is, is if you need to either register one of the series or open up a bank account and you're dealing with the state that's never seen them or a banker that's never seen them, there can be an educational component on your part to explain to them what they're looking at. They might still look up and go, I can't give a bank account to a series because I just don't know what I'm looking at. You don't really know. So what we do know is the independent LLCs is a tried and true model. And I think I'd forgot to address this earlier. Uh, the simplest setup is a Wyoming LLC at the top, an LLC in your home state for each property. So one, two, three, four, five, as you go on. When you begin getting beyond three LLCs or three properties at the bottom, you can look at more advanced strategies such as setting up a separate LLC just for the purpose of being a property manager. So they're in charge of the maintenance, signing with tenants. If something goes wrong, usually the property manager sued, not the LLC owning the property. You can begin putting an LLC in there that acts like a bank and engages in equity stripping. But here you just begin getting more complex and becomes a question of how much does the client want, have a taste for complexity and what do they think their risk profile is at the end of the day. So. Got it. Thank you. I'm glad you addressed them. That was something I tried to figure out when I first started buying properties. I think my first two were, were in my name because of the financing I was getting at the time. It's a lot easier to get the you know 30-year fixed low interest rate loans in your personal name than it is in an LLC. And I had thrown the question out there, should I start an LLC to manage the properties, even though the assets are not actually being held in the properties. Is there any benefit of that? And I didn't sort of speak directly to any lawyers or experts like yourself, but I think the, the feedback I got from several individuals 
on bigger pockets was that they're going to go after who the title is under so that the LLC doing the property management didn't really add any level of security. Would you disagree with that statement? It depends on who the lease is with. The lease, if you have a lease to one individual and they're obligated to take insurance out under that lease and the individual slips and falls on the property, then in all likelihood would go, go back against the lessee. But you're right. They may also go back against the property owner and see what they get in terms of the property insurance. You could zoom out and go if you had a third-party property management company. They were supposed to do these things and they didn't. It's clearly the property management company's liability. You can push it off to them. Here it becomes a little weird because you also are the property management company. So they're going to try to argue, hey, it's not the prop company we go after, it's the other one. But they're stuck making that argument in court at $500 an hour. And then one thing you can do is, if all you do is set up a property management company, but you don't substantiate it, it's a little bit easier to get through. But if the property management company has an agreement with each LLC and it says, you're going to pay us on these dates to do these things, and then the transfers take place, they get the insurance that looks like a real property management company, or better yet, your property management company also has third-party properties that it manages, so it really is a property management company, it becomes much harder for the attorney to break through. We're never going to say impossible in asset protection, but the goal is always to put as many barriers between you and your creditors as possible. Because I mean, then unless you've really done something wrong, the idea is you just kind of tire them up. Got it. So one other question I definitely wanted to ask y'all, and, and I don't know if this is necessarily a attorney's question or a CPA's question. I, I have trouble sometimes fig, figuring out where one ends and the other begins. A question I get a lot is... Oh man, I hit the jackpot. (laughs) A question I get a lot is which is better and should I do an LLC or or an S corp? And my initial response from what I've read is, you know, when I go and fill out my LLC paperwork, it says, how do you want to be taxed? And I can either check as a sole proprietor, an S corp or a C corp. So is an S-Corp really different than an LLC? And is that a legal distinction or is that a taxation distinction? Can y'all elaborate on that topic a little bit for us? I can do that. You can be taxed as a C-Corporation, an S-Corporation, a partnership, or a single-member LLC, depending on what fits. So the S-Corporation designation applies to corporations and LLCs. So that's a tax designation, not a legal, has no sort of legal ramification whatsoever on the LLC itself. In fact, in Wyoming, there's an LLC statute that says irrespective of the tax designation you elect, it has no effect on the efficacy of the LLC there. So what we typically recommend is that for your operating subsidiaries at that lowest level, what you want to do is you want to put into place a pass-through entity that passes through all of the receipts and disbursements up into a holding company. And then the holding company itself typically would be taxed as a partnership. I don't really like the sub-S designation so much anymore. It's not been amended or supplemented in about 34 years. I think it's become more and more of an historical acronym because of the differentiation between earned and unearned income and the stigma associated with that. I think the partnership gives you all of the deductibility that you get with an S corporation without the constraints that go to it. So that's the long and the short of that. Good deal. So did you guys have any other topics you wanted to cover around LLCs and asset protection and any call to action for the investors out there that might be on the fence or trying to figure out which direction they need to go or where they need to start? Sure. 
You know, I'll say in LLCs, especially when you're beginning, a lot of it can sound like alphabet soup. And from having dealt with clients, a lot of clients like running their businesses, but that doesn't mean they like paperwork. So uh, <laughs> what we would say is regardless, you know, you've worked hard. Real estate, it's a valuable asset inherently. You should protect it, even if it just means one LLC. And then you work your way up to a multiple entity structure you become comfortable with, but at least do something to protect it. And then if you do want something complex, I mean, you can even have it where one LLC owns the land, another LLC owns the building. You can do all sorts of stuff if you want or start with one LLC. Either way, we're happy to help you. You'll find our pricing is pretty unique among attorneys only because we're not going to force you to speak to the attorney. If you know what you want, we have an online order form. You'll go to wyomingllcattorney.com, orange order button in the upper right of every page, less than five minutes. You hit submit. We'll get everything back to you within 24 hours. 199, including the state fee agent service operating agreement and other things. And every company we form is anonymous. So none of your details will be made public. If you feel like you've got a few more questions, call in or submit the contact form. And of course, we've got attorneys on staff too, who can assist with the legal questions and tax questions too, if you wanted to engage in more structuring. But don't do nothing. At least have one LLC, I beg you. So... Absolutely. And I think you already answered the question, but I'll throw it out there anyway, just in case you have anything you want to add on. And that's where can our listeners find you? Where can they find out more about you? I know you've mentioned your website a few times. Do you have any other social media, phone numbers, email, any, any other kind of contact information you want to throw out there so that our listeners know how to get in touch with you? We have some neglected social media pages that I won't bother anybody with. I mean, if you message us through our Facebook, we're notified of it. But otherwise, uh, we've got a contact form, info, email, and a phone number. So just Mark, I'm going to put that on Andrew because I'm thinking that's, that's the young buck's job <laughs> to keep up with the social media. <laughs> that is my... Yeah, plan. okay. <laughs> it's your week to take the blame. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you joining. I really appreciate you offering a ton of clarity. And I will definitely be following up after this call with another personal call to you because I am interested in getting a a parent company set up to to house my LLC. So I would encourage everyone else to as well. So thank y'all and talk to y'all soon. Thank you, Sterling. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>